Thank you, worship team. Thank you very much. Praise the name of the Lord our God. I'm going to begin with reading our passage for the morning. And our passage is in Luke chapter 17, starting at verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees, When the kingdom of God will come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming with something observable. No one will say, Look here or there, for you see, the kingdom of God is among you. Then he told the disciples, The days are coming when you will long to see the one. You will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you won't see it. They will say to you, Look there, or look here. Don't follow or run after them. For as the lightning flashes from horizon to horizon and lights up the sky, so the Son of Man will be in His day. But first, He must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People went on eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. It will be the same as it was in the days of Lot. People went on eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting, building. But on the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be like that on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, a man on the housetop whose belongings are in the house must not come down to get them. Likewise, the man who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on the night, two will be in one bed, one will be taken, and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Two will be in a field. One will be taken and the other will be left. Where, Lord? They asked him. He said to them, Where the corpse is, there also the vultures will be gathered. That's our passage that we'll be exploring here in a little bit. I wanted to remind you of two things before we get started. Number one, I wanted to let you know that the kids' packets are available online. And so the kids' packets were mailed out to a group of people already, but if you uh, normally are here in person, you might want to get a kids' packet printed out. They are available online at Crossroads, the Crossroads Kids webpage. So you can do that if you'd like to have your kids involved. And uh, there's some coloring pages and a place where they can take notes and a uh, crossword puzzle. And so I'm proud of our Crossroads Kids interns who put these together, so thank you very much. And I also wanted to let you know that we will be having communion together in uh, just a little bit, and Pastor Kurt will be coming back up, and he will be leading us through that time. And so if you wanted to take some time to prepare that for your family or for yourself, uh, go ahead and do that. So... So what we're going to do is we're going to jump back into uh, the text this morning. 
So, man, this week truly has been amazing. I mean, earlier this week, I actually started thinking, are we in the days preceding the Son of Man being revealed? You know, I mean, a fire tornado, first time in California, all the lightning last Sunday night, 350 whatever fires, all the heat, the smoke on top of this pandemic that we're in. I mean, all of the loss and the death and the destruction. Man, you know, we've been at this, this thing, this quarantine, this, this quarantine period of time for like since March, right? This whole season. And I started asking myself, I was like, is the gospel thriving? The gospel should still be thriving. And I was, I was wondering, like, is the gospel thriving in your neighborhood? Are you thriving through all of this? I was thinking, perhaps, maybe you've been doing what I've been doing. Eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. Have you been doing that? I mean, how many of you out there, uh, by a show of hands, have been, who's planted something and uh, watched it grow this last season? There we go. I see you out there. I see you out there, all of you out there raising your hands. Uh, You know, over the last five months, it's been kind of fun to watch my plants grow. And the cantaloupe, we planted a cantaloupe. The watermelon, not so much. Cantaloupe, we had a really delicious cantaloupe. And, uh, you know, building. That kind of describes, you know, what I've been doing. They should have put the word repair and maintenance because I feel like I've been doing repairs like nonstop for the last five months, maintaining the things, all the things that I had put off. But repairs, maintenance, all those things, right? Except I did go camping. Camping was good. I went camping for a week, and that was nice. I, uh, I enjoyed a little bit of break from... Although, you know, really, it probably wasn't much of a break, because pretty much all I did was I was eating and drinking, doing repairs on my things, maintenance on the things that were supposed to be uh, working, and cleaning my dirty children, you know. So, pretty much, life just has gone on. But then all of a sudden this week, it was like, good grief, this is crazy, this is nuts. On Wednesday morning, I went outside, and with the heat and the smoke and everything, I was just like, this is like, sitting, this is like the wrath of God. It's like literally went through my mind. And, and so that's, I want to just mention that. It kind of like connects a little bit to, to I mean, sure, you thought some of those same things this week. And our passage today is very relevant for, for where we're at. In, uh, in just in, in the experience, because the, the main point this morning is that people who are eagerly anticipating the second coming of Jesus Christ are more careful about this life, building into God's kingdom and making investments into people. That's our main point this morning, and so I want to develop that a little bit with you. So let's take a look at our passage. Here we are, Luke 17 at verse 20. So, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God will come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is coming 
is not coming with something observable. No one will say, look here or there, for you see the kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God is among you. Well, we'll notice a couple things. First of all, verse 20 to 21 is a conversation that takes place between the Pharisees. And it was a more of a public response. Anybody who's around could hear it. It was like a public conversation. And they want to know when the kingdom of God was going to come. So, having been asked by the Pharisees, first thing he says in verse 20 is, it's not coming with something observable. You know, they were right to anticipate the kingdom of God. The coming of the Messiah was long expected. And I wanted to read Isaiah 9, verse 6-7 to you. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. His, the dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And so they had long expected a king to come in the line of David. Someone who would be the Messiah to set up the kingdom. You know, it's mysterious, his answer to the Pharisees, that it won't be with something observable, because certainly later, Jesus was very specific about some things that could be observed. In Luke itself, chapter 21, he talks about how, well, he gives us these glimpses. We have two, two parts in Luke, this chapter and chapter 21, that give us some insight into these, these times. I'll read Luke 21. Teacher, they asked him, so when are these things going to be? And what will be the signs that things, these things are about to take place? Then he said, watch out that you're not deceived. For many will come in my name saying, I am he. And the time is near. Don't be fooled by them. When you hear of wars and rebellions, don't be alarmed. Indeed, these things must take place first. But the end won't come right away. He told them, nation will be raised up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be violent earthquakes and famines and plagues in various places and there will be terrifying sights and great signs from heaven. And so clearly there were going to be some obvious signs of this coming. Well, it's mysterious. Why did Jesus give them the answer that he gave them? You know what's else even more interesting is the answer that he gave them is very unique. There's this word that he used for among in our Holman Christian Standard Bible. It's translated among. And uh, this word is entos. Entos is this Greek word that's only used twice in the entire New Testament. Interesting. Wasn't there another word Jesus could use? Well, Among you kind of has this idea of the kingdom of God is, is right here before you. Like right under your noses. In which case, you're like, yes, yeah, certainly you're not going to see it. There's nothing for you to see if you can't see it because it's right here under your noses. 
According to uh, one of the commentaries I read, it just basically said the phrase in Luke 17, 21 is probably best interpreted as in your midst. And that's what the ESV uses. The kingdom of God is, is in your midst. It makes good sense with the very question that the Pharisees posed who were looking for an outward, visible phenomena that was observable. He said, no, it's in your midst. But the other way that that same word was translated in, in the Bible was when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees saying, you know, woe to you, you, you think you guys are so great, based, I'm paraphrasing, but what he says is, you're so good at cleaning the outside of the cup, but what you need to clean is intos. You don't even think about the intos. And so this word has this clear, you know, I would say, spread of meaning. And it's only used twice, and I'm starting to think that Maybe Jesus used that word on purpose. Maybe he used it on purpose. Think about it. This debate has long gone on for, for about, well, what was it? The kingdom was within you or the kingdom is in the midst of you? And there's great scholars and, and theologians and uh, people who throughout the ages have, have explained why they think what it is. And, and maybe it's gone on so well because there's so much credence to give to both, both perspectives, to both sides, because... I do think that there's a truth that is, is being communicated because people didn't notice yet that the kingdom had come. It was like a, a, a riddle. And I wanted to re read Isaiah 53 with you as we, we discuss this. Because people hadn't noticed that the king had come. Isaiah 53. Who has believed what we have heard? And who has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? And that right there is very interesting. That's the same question. Who has it been revealed to? Who notices? Who can see it for what it really is? Who's believed what we've heard? Who has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? He grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of the dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him. No appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised. We didn't value him. People hadn't noticed. You see, people hadn't noticed that he was the king, yet. People hadn't noticed that what he was setting up in this eternal kingdom was one of the Spirit. One that was in the souls of men. And it would work outward from there, from the heart. And they certainly didn't have all the pieces put together that there would be this, this delay, this seeming gap in the fulfillment of the kingdom's ultimate expression and eternal promise. And so, in a sense, Jesus used a word that would fit the situation. I think that's kind of cool, honestly. I think that's pretty awesome. And uh, I thought it was really interesting to, to study that. But it presents, uh, it presents a, a reality that 
that, that we live in today. And, and this reality that the kingdom is not only in our midst, but it's one that's primarily expressed, expressed and lived out in the Spirit now, working its way out into the world from that point through His church. And there will be the day, and that's what we're going to learn about in a little bit. So we're going to move on, verse 22 to 25. All right, so verse 22, we moved away from this public conversation he was having with the Pharisees, and then it says, then he told the disciples. The disciples get the inside scoop. The days are coming when you will long to see one of the days of man, the Son of Man, but you won't see it. They will say to you, look there, look here, don't follow or run after them. For as the lightning flashes from horizon to horizon and lights up the sky, so the Son of Man will be in His day. But first, He must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So who is the Son of Man? What's with the title? From the Baker Encyclopedia, the Son of Man was a term that, that uh, Jesus used. Here He's using it to talk about Himself instead of just saying, I... He uses the term, the Son of Man. And there's a lot to to learn, if you had time, to to study some of the Old Testament passages that that use this term, the Son of Man. And uh, we we don't have that time. But essentially, it's a messianic title. It's a title that refers to the coming one. Uh, It expresses not only his heavenly origin, but his earthly mission and his glorious future coming. It's a term that allows him to talk about himself in a way that's less um, in your face. And, but it carries so much, so much weight as, we, as, you, as you read like in um, Ezekiel and in Daniel and, and all these uh, prophecies about the Son of Man and, and this, this tender root, this, this uh, branch that comes out of of Jesse, the stump, you know, who's connected back to the Davidic line. And so there's all this powerful imagery, and he just uses this one title, the Son of Man. So Matthew, um, so in Matthew 9.15, I want to... going to see it. It's not something that you're you're not going to see me, but you're going to have this longing. You're going to wish you could. You're going to look back maybe even to this moment with some affection, almost like a longing, like why didn't I pay more attention then? How could I have been so distracted? Or God, I I need to know what you're doing in these circumstances. I want to see what you're doing. And he says uh, in John 7, 33, 34, Jesus said, I am only with you for a short time. Then I'm going to the one who sent me. You'll look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Verse 23 talks, basically, verse 23 says, don't go hunting for me. Don't be misled. You don't need to run off over here. You don't need to run off over there. 
It's going to be spectacular. It's going to be obvious when I'm coming back. There's this... uh, The reality is that He will be revealed. And Jesus wants us to know that. The way we discover Him. Um, When He comes back on that day, His second coming, uh, we're not going to have to wonder. It's not going to be a question of, "Is is this Him? Is this Jesus, my Savior, coming back for me? And yet, Jesus alludes to this gap, this period of time that He has us in now in this kingdom that we're awaiting this, this fulfillment. And He's like, you're going to long for it. It's actually good for us to be carrying forward this, this longing to know because we have this, this, like, this taste, this taste of what Jesus is for us. And we have this taste of, of what, it, what it feels like to, to have freedom and to be at peace with the Lord and to, to feel like we're in step with Him. We have these tastes, but sometimes it feels so, so fleeting. And I just, I got to keep, keep moving. In verse 25, he says, but first, before all these things happen, see, the Son of Man, He's going to have His day, and that day is going to be in the future. But first, before we get there, I'm going to have to suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. You know, Jesus has to keep inserting this in because it's the part of the story that they were so quick to gloss over. They were so quick to to move past. Back in Isaiah 53, 4-7, it says, Yet He Himself... Let's see if we have that. Do we have Isaiah 53, 4-7? Yet He Himself bore our sickness and carried our pains, but we in turn regarded Him as stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But He was pierced because of our transgressions and crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on Him. And we are healed by His wounds. We all went astray like sheep. All of us turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished Him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet He did not open His mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before its shears. He did not open His mouth. First, before that glorious day, He's going to suffer. What good would it do if He came back but hadn't suffered? Or hadn't faced rejection? And He hadn't shed His blood. Who would have opened that seal? Alright, so we started with the Pharisees asking their question, when, and Jesus' response. 
And then we began this further explanation with the disciples. To hear the beginning, uh, beginning with the Son of Man is going to be revealed. And the next section, we're going to see that the Son of Man will be revealed suddenly. And that it will bring disruption and destruction. So just as it was in the days of Noah, this is Luke 17, verse 26. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People went on eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. It'll be the same as it was in the days of Lot. People went on eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building, and repairing maintenance on their vehicles. But the day of Lot, uh, but on the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. It'll be like that on the day the Son of Man is revealed. He will be revealed suddenly, and destruction will accompany that day. So what are the conditions of the day, the days of the Son of Man? Just like they were in the days of Noah, just like they were in the days of Lot. Now, the days of Lot, I don't know if you guys are all familiar with that story, but it's in Genesis 19 if you wanted to read about it. And, and it's, it's, uh, well, it's, it's a crazy story. It's just, uh, it's unexpected uh, what they were living in and that God, in a sense, has to drag Lot from this place and his wife and, and, and family And, and then we have the story of Lot's wife who looks back. They were told to run for their lives to the mountains and escape the judgment that was going to befall uh, these, these towns. And, and, and uh, they, uh, they start to run and Lot's wife looks back and turns to a pillar of salt. And I actually, um, my wife's been to the, the Dead Sea and uh, the salty, you know, mountainous terrain there um, surrounding the, the Dead Sea and those cities. Um, I was watching a, a, a video, so I've seen with my own eyes um, on YouTube, I've seen all the, there's actually these crazy Deposits of just like ash, just leftover ash, canvassing these these large swaths, and like, and then you can travel several more miles, and then you have this other area. It's just real thick ash. Nothing grows there still. And, but uh, it was in 1989. This guy went out there, and he, he discovered all these little this area where there's all these like sulfur uh, deposits that had fallen like rain in, 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 in this area. And they were like this hard encased sulfur. Well, it wasn't really hard because you could slice off the top and then inside it you can expose all this sulfur. And it was like this really pure, like 94% pure like sulfur ball. And you could light it on fire and it would burn. But um, it's crazy to, to see the, the leftover effects 
And the very fact that we have in our passage these stories being brought up, uh, God has preserved this reminder of the judgment that came upon these cities. He was judging very, very specific behaviors and attitudes. And the thing about it is, what were listed here, buying, selling, eating, drinking, these weren't the attitudes that they were judged for. They were judged for their sin, their sinful hearts, and God is the, the righteous judge. Uh, and Jesus brings them up here saying, it's going to be like that when I come back. And he's talking kind of like, we can't ignore the fact that he's bringing this, these stories of, of judgment into view, but he's saying this judgment was coming, the reality of judgment was, was, was upon them, and yet they were just carrying on with life. They were just doing the ordinary things. They were doing the things that you and I did all week long. And you did some of it this morning, unless you skipped breakfast. So, there's this suddenness, this unexpectedness of His coming, but we need to remember that it's going to be coming also with destruction, and it's going to be disturbing. I wanted to read 2 Peter 3, verse 8 to 10. Uh, Dear friends, don't let this one thing escape you. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay His promise, as some understand delay, but He's patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, the elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. And I'm going to go back to Isaiah again in chapter 11. I don't know if this will be on the screen. But it says, Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears. But he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed. He will strike the land with discipline from his mouth, and he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. Righteousness will be a belt around his loins. Faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. And so the kingdom of God will come. The Son of Man will be revealed. And the nature of that revealing is both sudden and with judgment. Our next section, we're going to see that not only do we understand this to be the nature of it, but there's a warning, a pointed warning for us. So Luke 17:31, on the day, on that day, a man on the housetop whose belongings are in the house must not come down to get them. Likewise, the man who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Two will be in a field. One will be taken 
and the other left. The warning is to be ready for that day. I've said it this way, be ready for the day be, by being ready every day. Remember Lot's wife. Lot's wife. What was she looking for? Why did she look back? Why did she look back? What was so desirable back there? Without assuming that it was the sinful things of Sodom, I think it would be easy enough to identify with Lot's wife in the fact that she just left behind everything. Everything that she's known, everything that she's built her life on, all of her plants, like her cantaloupes were almost, you know, ripe. Her kids, her daughters, running around. That was their home, wherever it was. And whatever it is, she was, she was longing, but she, was, she, she had this moment of, am I going to listen to what the angel has told me? To run and to not look back. Because that running is, 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 is an embracing of something that's unknown. It's scary. And we want to hold on to what we know. And here was God telling them to know, run toward what I have for you. I've been thinking about what they were doing, um, you know, in, in, in Sodom as far as the things that are mentioned here in our passage, eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. And there was times in my life that I've had to stop and I've had to really ask myself this question where God got a hold of me long enough and, and I started to, I think one time it was with my kids and I was like, man, my kids are getting, getting so old. Older, you know, they're growing so fast, you know, and I spent, I just remember I was in the middle of a project, you know, and I'm like, man, I could finish this project. And I'm like, my, by the time I finish this project, my kids are going to be like out of the house. And I'm like, that's not going to be worth it. Like, <laughs> I've asked the question, like, what am I really building as my kids grow up before me? And what am I really investing myself into? You know, I was thinking about my dad. My dad passed away almost three years ago now. And um, I wanted to share this with you. During his last times, I don't know, around this time, three years ago, we might have been, you know, moving into to hospice. And his mind, uh, he just, he, it wasn't as, as fertile. He would re-have the same conversations that we had the last time, you know, we were together. And there were some things that just were really a craw in his, in his thinking. The things that he was just kind of disgruntled about. And one of the things that bugged him for a, a number of years leading up to that, and he mentioned many times towards the end, was he's like, I can't believe we don't have this house paid off. I think that he, you know, was thinking about wishing that my, 
you know, my mom had a bet, you know, more security. Like, if it was paid off, then she'd, she could stay here and not have to worry about working or something. But, like, he kept going back to this. Because there was this period of time when he's like, it was a couple years before he died, uh, but he, could, he looked back and he said, 30 years ago, if I would have paid on this mortgage from here on out, from 30 years ago, it would be paid off. And I wouldn't have this mortgage anymore. And he looked at the current situation, and he was nowhere close to having his home paid off. And, you know, a series of, you know, financial situations and, you know, fixing things and refinancing to where uh, he probably, you know, owed more than he originally owed on, on the house when he first bought it. Uh, and, but... He was really bothered by this for a period of time, and he kept going, going, going back to it. And I think that he started to get frustrated with what he was seeing in his financial situation. It just seemed like more and more debt never getting ahead, and just being like, maybe even looking around at the people who were able to retire and the people who didn't have to do that anymore. And he started to just kind of like let that kind of like permeate whenever that conversation would come up. I always knew it was coming. I was like, yeah, I know, Dad, yeah, yeah. But like he uh, had a memorial service, and I started thinking about the memorial service he had. And I learned a lesson after con- connecting these two, two things together. And at the memorial service, this, this auditorium right here was filled with people that my dad had touched. And so many of the people sitting here could articulate a time where, where they were going through something and my dad was there for them and was able to listen to them and give them advice and above all, give them love and encouragement. And, and, and there was, there's so many stories of the ways that he touched people. And I started to think, I was like, Dad, you might not have been able to invest into paying off your house and you don't have this big retirement portfolio, but the investments that you made have certainly remained. They've certainly taken root. And we've got to be careful that we don't start to look for fruit and look for, uh, yeah, fruit in, in the areas where we didn't plant. That's not the field my dad had been gardening in, financial security. He'd been investing into the kingdom and into people's hearts. And there was a lot of fruit there. And so, that, that struck me. Because what we need to be doing is, is building into his kingdom and investing into people. What's going to matter What's going to really matter when all these things are stripped away? The things that we've gotten so used to. I learned that not everything stays the same. We can't take one season and expect every season. The characters that are in your story right now might not always be in your story. You know what I mean? So we have to value them for the moments that we have. It reminds, 
This whole thing reminds me of Hebrews 11, and in Moses' case, it says, Moses, he'd grown up, he refused to be called the Pharaoh's, uh, son of the Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to suffer with the people of God rather to enjoy the short-lived pleasure of sin. He considered the reproach because of the Messiah to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since his attention was on the reward. Hebrews 11 is filled with people who were willing to walk through terrible life situations and circumstances because they were looking forward to something that God was offering them and they were willing to embrace it by faith and to orient their trajectory based on what they were hoping for, the fulfillment of God's promises. And so, how do we keep these things as the most important, the things that we say are going to really matter in the end? How do we keep them in front of us as we, as we live this life, anticipating the fact that the day is going to come, the Son of Man will be revealed. One day, everything is going to be different than it is now. I want to talk about just three things, and one of them is the idea of crucifying your flesh. This is, this is something that it, it talks about as a theme in the Bible, that we need to live in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the newness of His life, imitators of Him. And His, His grace towards us is not a license to sin, but it's instead the power to live in His, His holiness. And in His righteousness. And just like Paul, I'm aware that within me is, is there a, a war and that the sin hasn't just been vanished, but instead I have this in this gap, in this kingdom that I'm living in now, waiting for His eternal kingdom, He's asked me to deal with and to work out my salvation. And to part of that means saying no. In fact, Titus gives us this, the grace of God has appeared to us, teaching us to say no to ungodliness and to live upright lives in this age. We need to get serious about not letting sin just fester within. Because it separates us. Number two, gratitude. I want to talk about gratitude just for a second. We need to enjoy the things that we have. God has given us many things for us to enjoy for our enjoyment. And yet we need to take the enjoyment of those things right back to the Lord and it should increase our relationship with Him as the giver of all these good things. Because if you don't, if you take His benefits and you just live out and you enjoy the thing, you start to think that you did it. You start to think that you earned it, you deserved it, you created it, you made it, you, you, you partake in it. And it's all about you. And other people notice you have it. And instead, He gives you these things for our enjoyment. And the attitude, <laughs> that's funny, the attitude of gratitude will actually bring you closer to the giver of every good and perfect gift. It might actually even overflow. If we have gratitude towards the things that God has brought into our lives, it might actually overflow into generosity. A generous spirit. 
I think that shows true gratitude when you're so willing to acknowledge that this is from God that you're also willing to let it, let it go. To bless somebody else. To be a gift extended to them. And the third is to love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know, I was thinking about one day, I was like, you know, my honeydew list or my, my list of projects that I want to do, my, my agendas that, you know, all the... What if I was just as concerned about my neighbors eating and drinking and planting and, and building? What if I was thinking about their life and what they're going through and my goal was to love them and their life just as much as I love me and, and my life. And I'd work just as hard to make their life comfortable as I make, try to make my life comfortable. What about pleading the cause of the widow and pursuing justice? Those are the things that are dear to God's heart. And I wanted to mention the idea of just being a host. Being a host to people's journey. Creating a free and friendly space where people can come in to your life and there's room there for them to be themselves and to discover who Jesus is as they walk along the road of life. Discovering life together. So we have this challenge to to not look back. Don't look back back. And it's all about our affections. It's all about our affections. The reality is there's a frustration of living in a kingdom that is among us and yet isn't fulfilled. And therefore it's a kingdom that is within us that God is building. And who is the king? It's a battle of our affections. What are we going to desire? And how are we going to line ourselves up with that? Uh, Romans 8.23 says, Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as our first fruits, the first fruits, that means we haven't experienced everything that there is yet to Him. Well, let me just finish the sentence. We also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. 1 Peter 1.8 says, You love Him, though you have not seen Him. And though you're not seeing Him now, you believe in Him and rejoice with an inexpressible and glorious joy. So I'm going to say, I'm going to ask, like, where are your affections? Do you find yourself affectionate for the Lord? Are you watering that? Are you growing that? Are you, you planting that into your heart? Wouldn't it be awesome if you were filled with an inexpressible and a glorious joy? So remembering Lot's wife will remind us to keep our affections on the Lord, 
But investing into His kingdom will take some intentionality. Our most important investment will be an investment into people. We should invest into people. We should be investing into people over our possessions. And into people over pushing paper, which is really what I mean by that is your work, your projects, the things you got to do, your to-do list. People are more important than your to-do list. And people over preserving the peace. We should be putting people over just maintaining peace. between families where you just kind of want to keep your mouth shut. You don't want to get involved. You don't want to ruffle any feathers. But why do I say this? Why do I say this right now? Why is this, how does this connect to our passage? Look at the intimacy of the relationships. The one that you're married to. The one that you're working with. Right? That's what's in our passage. We have, we have two lying down. One's gone. The other one's left. And we have in the field, we have two people working and one's gone and the other's left. And you know, we just live our lives and all these days just blend together. But one day, everything's going to be made clear. I think it's interesting in verse 37 that they ask this question, Where, Lord? They asked Him. And then so He says to them in verse 37, Where the corpse is, there also the vultures will be gathered. Where, Lord? Where, Lord? That, that's a very interesting question. I mean, at first, it seems like they've missed the point. Where? After all that I just explained to you, you want to know where? Didn't Jesus just say that it's not here and it's not there? Don't go running after it. Don't go to this place or the other looking for the Son of Man. Don't go running off. You know, it's like this. It's like Jesus. Here's Jesus. Guys. The coming of the Son of Man is going to be sudden. It's going to bring judgment. So be ready. And the disciples are like, where? It seems like more, a more pressing detail would have been, like, when? Or who? Or how, even? But where is one going to be, ta- where is one going to be taken and the other one left? Where is that going to happen? Where? Anyways, Jesus answers in a, question, in, in a way that uh, makes you think for a minute, right? Where the vultures gather. Okay, where the corpse is, there will be vultures gathered. And it's almost like he's like, stupid question. Take this answer. You guys think about that. I mean, at first, doesn't it seem like that? I mean, doesn't it seem like that? He's like, inside he's like, where? I'll tell you where. And then he just like gives him a riddle. Uh, I don't know. That's probably, probably not what he was thinking. I didn't get into the, the mind of Jesus. Uh, but, but when you think about the answer that he gives, I was struck by what, what he might have meant. I think that his answer is this. You want to know where? This is coming Everywhere. This is coming everywhere that there is spiritual death. 
It's all around you. Read the signs. The birds are circling around your place of work. The birds are circling around your household. The birds are circling around your bedroom. He's coming back. And when He does, the Messiah will be revealed for who He is. And there's going to be a separating of all that may just seem ordinary and inseparable. The things that we've taken for granted. The people that we've taken for granted. Well, in conclusion, we've been discovering that this passage really points out that the people who are eagerly anticipating the second coming of Jesus the Messiah are more careful about this life. Building into God's kingdom and making investments into people. And I want to close just by reading 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3-9. to Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being protected by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. You rejoice in this. Though now, for a short time, you've had to struggle in various trials. So that the genuineness of your faith, more valuable than gold, which perishes though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You love Him, though you have not seen Him. And though not seeing Him now, you believe in Him and rejoice with an inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You love Him. And you're filled with a joy inexpressible. Don't look back. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for this word from uh, Luke and the opportunity to study it and to look at it this morning on a, on a, on a Sunday morning here. And we're all scattered around this city and some of us are in other parts of the country. And yet Your Word is living and active and Your Spirit is within us and it's taking these truths and it's stirring us up. And I'm confident that You're stirring us up. And I ask, Father, that You would please, by Your Spirit, You would lead us into understanding. And that You would help the seeds of these truths to begin to take root and to to ultimately bear fruit in our lives. And so, Father, I give that to You. And we turn our hearts to You. 
And we ask you to keep reminding us of what's most important during these days. And help us to live our lives in alignment. Help us to be willing to crucify our flesh, to love our neighbor, and to live with gratitude. We give these things to, the, to you in the name of your Son, Jesus. And we thank you for your love and for showing us the way. Amen. Amen.